So hello everybody and welcome to What Do Scientists Do? It's a show where I talk to a different science guest each episode and they tell us all about what they do in the world of science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm super excited for our episode today because I'm joined by two very special guests. Could you each tell us your name and your pronouns? I'm Artash Nak, he, him, uh, and I'm a grade 11 student from Toronto. And hello everyone, uh, my name's Arushi, and I'm a grade 8 student from Toronto, so I'm 13 years old right now, and my pronouns are she, her. Nice to meet both of you. This is the first time that we've had kids on the podcast, so I'm super excited about it. What kinds of scientists are you? I'm passionate about you know, tackling complex intergenerational and interspecies challenges. And to do that, I use my knowledge in algorithms and big data to solve challenges in you know, oceans, atmospheric science, space, robotics, and AI. So really, I like to apply my skills to a really wide variety of issues in society. Um, and for me, um, for the past couple of years, I've been using my skills in open data, coding, and um, so on to solve um, real-world intergenerational problems. Um, for example, some of the projects I've done over the past couple of years range from planetary defense to environment problems to even problems inside your brain, so involving neurons. So it's a really a wide um, variety of topics that I like studying in. So I think we you know, call ourselves you know, proper, possibly uh, problem solvers. I love that. So you're super interdisciplinary. That's a word that we've used on this show before using lots of different kinds of science to come together to solve problems because one type of science is usually not enough to solve big problems like the ones that you guys are talking about. Super cool. Could you each give us an example of one of your projects and just kind of tell us about it? Sure. So a year ago uh, is when I started my most recent project called Monitor My Ocean. So the idea behind my project was that during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, I'm sure all of us experienced a huge amount of change, right? So in our cases, schools closed, you know, we had an economic slowdown, which means that uh, trade and, you know, transport of goods across the world slowed down a lot. And I was curious as how I could use this, you know, worldwide problem as a scientific opportunity to, you know, create positive impact out of that situation. So. 2020 to 2030 is also the UN Ocean Decade uh, for Sustainable Development. So I decided to merge these things together and create a project that merged these two things. So my research focused on understanding the drop in underwater ocean noise levels during the COVID-19 pandemic. And you might think, you know, ocean noise, why is this important? Well, underwater ocean noise overlaps with the sounds that marine mammals like whales, dolphins, and other sea creatures use for communication, navigation, and finding their prey. So the increase in ocean noise created by ships every single year is interfering with these marine mammal communications and increasing the risk of marine mammal collisions with ships. So my research used underwater noise data from seven stations across the world, and uh, the borders of North America, Europe, and even New Zealand, uh, to understand the drop in ocean noise during this time period. And I use that information to draft uh, better recommendations on how we can reduce ocean noise in the future and protect marine mammals. Well, I love that. So during this time, did you ever get to follow up on it? Like, did you ever get to look at the data after COVID, after things started back up again? 
Absolutely. In my study, I looked at the noise levels before the pandemic lockdowns, during the pandemic lockdowns, as well as after the pandemic lockdowns. So I was able to, you know, based on the different lockdown measures across the world, I saw different drops in ocean noise. So at all seven stations, there was a drop uh, ranging from, you know, one decibel to up to six or seven decibels. In fact, the biggest drop in ocean noise was seen in Georgia Strait in Pacific of Canada of six or seven decibels. Um, and similar decreases were seen in several other regions. And regarding after the lockdown period, I had the opportunity to measure the ocean noise at that time as well. Uh, so in some of the stations, this noise went back up to pre-pandemic levels, such as in the Stellwagen Bank. However, in other stations like the Georgia Strait, it stayed low as policy that you know was put in place to restrict travel stayed in place for a short time after the lockdown as well. Is there any kind of actions that people you think that people should take or that people decided to take in response to what you learned? Well, my study showed that restriction on um, sea routes or moving of shipping lanes or, you know, moratoria and new shipping routes in the Arctic could be an effective strategy to reduce underwater noise and help, you know, reverse this decline in marine island population. So I think this, you know, policy change is really important because both of us, when we do research, we don't think it's enough just to, you know, conduct the research and release a paper. We think that really bridging technology uh, data um, and, you know, these kind of results with policy is really the most important step because we need to make sure that the science we're doing is actually able to have an impact. So in my case, I had the opportunity to attend several conferences after uh, having finished my project. So for example, last summer, I attended the UN Ocean Conference in Lisbon, where I was able to meet with several policymakers, uh, several other researchers, several other young researchers working across the world and discuss you know, my work and their work with them, um, which really opened many more routes for collaboration and expansion of my research. And regarding policy, I'm continuing to work uh, in that aspect. So in fact, Canada has been working on its ocean noise strategy in last year and across this year. It's still a work in progress and we have a lot of other ocean issues like uh, deep sea mining coming up, but policy and data are definitely on my agenda. That's really cool. So we'll move on to Arushi now. So can you explain one of the projects that you've done? For sure. So um, one of the projects I've done um, about one and a half years ago um, was all about planetary defense. And planetary defense is basically protecting the Earth from objects outside our atmosphere, not atmosphere, notably asteroids. And asteroids are nothing but small objects, basically remnants from um, the early formation of our solar system, which are spread around our solar system. Most asteroids orbit between Mars and Jupiter. But since the path of these asteroids are very uncertain, it's possible that these asteroids can change their orbit and even come close to the Earth. And this is what we call near-Earth asteroids. And um, one really important thing is to make sure that these asteroids do not impact the Earth, because a collision would be caused dramatic effect. Um, there would be a crater in the Earth, and many different bad consequences could happen. So planetary fence and detecting um, deflecting asteroids and making sure asteroids do not impact the Earth is essential. But before we can make sure that an asteroid does not impact the Earth, we first need to have um, detected the asteroid. This is what my project was about. My project was all about detecting unknown asteroids. So how I did this was I took images of the sky from remote telescopes. 
Remote telescopes are basically telescopes located all around the Earth where I can control them directly from my house. So basically using their online platform, I was able to select what images to take using what exposure time, what type of telescope and so on. And I was able to get images of the sky. Using these images, um, first um, these images come in FITS files. So the special thing about FITS files, unlike normal images like JPEG or PNG files, is these contain both the image, but also lots of metadata on the image. For example, when this image was taken, um, where was it taken, what part of the sky was it pointing to when the image was taken, and so on. So the first step um, in my research was extracting all this information from the FITS file, because it would be very essential when I was doing my future uh, methodology steps. So after extracting this information, the next step was finding all known objects in the image. Because to first find the unknown asteroid, I need to first have eliminated all the known objects from my image. So it's basically a process of elimination. So I went to find both all known stars. Um, so to do this, I used um, a star catalog. So the star catalog is where they store the exact positions of all the stars in the sky that we have detected. So using this, I was able to find all the known stars in my image. But this wasn't really enough, because what if in my image there was asteroids that were already known and people had already discovered? Because I didn't want to rediscover an asteroid. So I had to also look for all known asteroids in my image. Um, but the thing with asteroids is asteroids are always moving in the sky, so you can't give them a specific position or coordinate. So basically, um, what I had to do is I had to query the NASA Horizon database, and this basically predicts the orbit of all the known asteroids. And based on that, at any given time, it can give you the position of every asteroid. So using this, I queried for all asteroids in my image. So now I had known stars and known asteroids. It was time to eliminate them. To eliminate them, I covered them with a mask to completely remove them from the image. Um, this mask was custom si sized to the object. So basically, I looked at the total brightness of the object, and based on that, um, I was able to find the radius of my object, either a known star or a known asteroid, and I was able to create the specific sized mask. So this allowed me to eliminate all known objects from my image. So the remaining objects were either a noise um, caused by the camera or any other effects or an unknown object. So to eliminate noise, I used a mathematical tool called standard deviation to measure the spread of brightness because I made an assumption, two assumptions actually. One was that um, asteroids are always circular in shape. The second assumption was that these asteroids um, were brightest in the center and dimmer as you go outside. So using that um, and same assumption for stars, I was able to um, basically differentiate between unknown asteroids and noise because noise are just spread out pixels um, with very high brightnesses. So th this way, I was able to find all the unknown objects in my image. And I reported my findings. So I, I created an algorithm in Python to do this process automatically. And um, I did it for about 40 to 50 images. And I re reported my findings to the Minor Planet Center database, which basically keeps track of all the asteroids in our solar system. And three of my asteroid detections were selected as primary asteroids, which is the first detection of an asteroid. That is very cool. So you discovered three new asteroids. 
just by using telescopes that you weren't even looking into yourself. You were able to like log into them and get them to point at the parts of the sky that you wanted them yes. to point at. One small disclaimer, I wasn't actually able to find new asteroids. I was able to find um, basically preliminary asteroids, which is the first detection. But unfortunately, okay. none of my observations passed on to second step because none of these objects were um, observed in the next two weeks, which is what is required for the process to keep going. I see, I see. So, but you still got that first step, which is very cool. So how did you end up getting into science like this, especially so young? Um, well, for me, I think it started when I was very young, so like five or six years old. Um, and I remember I was already always really fascinated at looking at the night sky. Like I would remember staring from my balcony for several hours sometimes, just trying to pick out different patterns in the st in stars, which I later learned was constellations. And then I even got my own small telescope, which I used to observe every night, um, looking at the sky, um, trying to pick out different planets. I remember I used to draw my observations that I made, like sketch it. My favorite planet used to be Saturn, actually, because I loved looking at the rings through the telescope. And um, I think after um, I used to start observing for some time, I then became members of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. We both are members right now. And this allowed me every year to go to their huge observatory um, in Collingwood and actually observe through our telescope. So I would observe different um, star clusters, stars, planets, and so on. And it really got me fascinated. And I thought to myself, what more can I do? What, how can I pursue my interest in astronomy? So um, I started creating um, small little projects related to astronomy, whether it was um, trying to find colors of stars, just these small things. And at the same time, I started trying out um, Python, so coding. And I got really fascinated um, with this because I could do so many things with just writing a couple lines of code. And then I decided to try to merge my interests in Python, astronomy, to try and create little projects because I believe the best way to fully learn about a subject is to actually make a project about it so you can learn all the aspects of this um, subject. So, which is why for the past several years, I've been creating many projects related to planetary defense, um, astronomy, while also merging my interests in maths, um, coding, and even art sometimes. Well, my passion for problem solving and, you know, taking a multidisciplinary approach to so many problems, I think it started by all the hackathons that I, uh, I told my sister used to attend as kids. So, I remember my first hackathon. Uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know what a hackathon is, so you have perhaps around 48 hours or two days to come up with a solution or pitch a solution to a certain challenge that's offered uh, in the hackathon. And I really used to love hackathons because it encourages you to think critically and to be able to come up with a valid solution uh, within a very short period of time. Now, obviously, when thinking of solving a big challenge, no solution, you know, no single solution is going to work or no solution that you can think of within a day is going to work. But I think it's a first step. Uh, you know, when you're thinking of a problem, a lot of people might, you know, think perhaps climate change, uh, artificial intelligence. These are very big topics, but, but being able to break it down and take a step by step approach to it, it really built up my knowledge on, you know, problem solving and logical thinking. So in 2014, I attended my first project on the NASA Space Apps Challenge, uh, which they host every year. And there together, we built a small robot, uh, modeled after, you know, the Curiosity rover, which had just been launched uh, recently uh, at that time. 
And we made our own small models that could record temperature readings, drive around and avoid obstacles, you know, a kind of like a basic project uh, in retrospect. But it was a start and we ended up in the top five uh, for People's Choice Award in the NASA Space Apps Challenge. Uh, and we continue attending the same hackathon as well as several others across the next years. In fact, in 2020, we were one of the global global winners of the NASA Space Apps Challenge 2020 uh, COVID edition. So all these hackathons built up our interest in medicine, environment, uh, AI, technology, and data. And now I've chosen to you know take my skills and apply them towards new problems that uh, I'm passionate about outside of hackathons. And I'm continuing on this path and uh, hopefully able to continue solving challenges in the future as well. So a combination of personal interests and cool events like hackathons, throwing yourself out there, but also just little projects at home and doing what you love. I love that. Do you have any big plans moving forward? Do you guys know what you want to do in the future? Yeah, um, well, right, right now is a, is a pretty exciting time for me. So. Um, I've always been doing a lot of research uh, and you know taking up different small challenges. Um, currently, I am in 11th grade, so I am taking exams pretty soon and SAT exams. Um, so a lot of studying to do, um, and I'll be applying to university later this year into a program in both you know information sciences and atmospheric or environmental sciences. Can have like a mix, um, and on this side, so my biggest time would probably be university for now, but I will also continue working on different challenges. Um, for me, so like for the past two years, I've been very focused on the challenge of planetary defense. So protecting our Earth from um, objects outside our solar system. I'm sorry, outside the atmosphere. Um, so um, I'm actually continuing on this path right now. So um, earlier um, last year in September, basically something very interesting happened. NASA launched a mission called the DART mission or the Double Asteroid Redirection Test Mission, which basically impacted um, an asteroid binary system called Dinimos. So it head-on impacted um, the secondary, um, so basically the moonlet of the system to try to change the orbit of it. So basically this is a very important step to deflection of asteroids because while Dinimos itself poses no threat to the Earth currently, if any asteroid in uh, the next 100 years or so does come and does pose a threat to the Earth and we think it might impact, then we need to have tested out methods that we know work to deflect this asteroid. And that's what this mission was all about. This mission head-on impacted the moonlet to try to change its orbit and see how the changes were reflected in this asteroid system. So currently what my project, current project is about is measuring, the, trying to measure the changes caused by this impact so now I've switched from astrometry to photometry. So now I'm taking long observations of the sky to try to measure um, myself using just the images, the rotation of the asteroid, the orbit of the asteroid, and so on to try to see if I can measure the impact of the Earth mission on the asteroid system itself. So that's what I'm working on currently. Um, in the future, I'm not, I know I want to go towards um, like space exploration, um, maybe add some, coding inside my future job, but I'm not really sure what career I want to pursue in the future. I think like I'm still in eighth grade. I think I have a lot of time to decide what to do later on. Absolutely. You don't have to, you don't have to decide anything yet and just exploring everything will get you where you need to go, I'm sure. Would 
you say that each of those things are your favorite science thing you, things you've ever done, or do you do you guys have a favorite? Yeah, well, these projects, you know, they they keep getting newer and more interesting as we go on. Um, so monitoration was definitely one. I think the, probably the most intensive project I've ever done. Um, probably like a thousand hours of work on that. Um, you know, from start to end, because it had so many aspects, right? Not just doing the data analysis and getting the results, but also having the opportunity to talk to so many researchers around the world, right? Um, I was in contact with researchers from Canada, the States, um, South America, New Zealand, Asia as well, Europe, you know, being, and I think that was probably the most exciting part of the project, along with the research putting up the results and making a web app monitormyocean.com so the public can also have access to my research which i think is super important um the year before i had done monitor my lockdown which was another project um that measured the effectiveness of covid lockdowns which was also pretty cool um i think monitor my ocean is definitely the project i'm proudest of uh up to date though i think a lot of projects i've done um are, are pretty interesting to me as well Oh, that's monitormyocean.com? Yes. So can people visit that and kind of see the data? Yeah, yeah. Um, monitormyocean.com, you can just enter that into your web browser and you can choose between the different stations in my study. It'll, it'll give you information on how the noise changed during the pandemic, uh, as well as some things like wind data and daily noise levels. Oh, I'll link that in the episode description and everything. Arushi, what was your favorite science thing that you've done so far? Well, I've definitely noticed over the years. Um, yes, my projects are getting co more complex and more complex each time as I'm learning new things. But I've also noticed that my projects start also taking more time. Like, for example, I would remember at the beginning, I would do lots of hackathons where I would have two days um, to make a project and present it. I was really in a rush there. Um, good projects took a really short amount of time. And even after that, like um, lots of projects that I used to do um, would take only a couple of weeks. Like one was um, measuring the changes in just my local environment during the lockdown. So basically I put a pollution sensor, I put like a sound sensor, and basically tried to measure the changes in the street noises, the pollution um, during the lockdown, and then also after the lockdown to try and measure the changes. Um, but I've got to say that my current project that I meant talked about um, finding unknown asteroids has definitely got to be the most interesting just because it took almost a year and I got to explore every single aspect of the project. Like I remember some problems um, I'll come over and I would face for several weeks before finding a solution. But it's really once I found a solution, it was really re rewarding knowing that I could tackle these challenges. And it's been encouraging me to tackle even bigger challenges, um, which I'm sure I'll do next. Um, do you two have any advice for other kids who might want to do similar things? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I would advise um, other younger kids looking to maybe step into the science domain, um, try their hand at some science projects, just um, to follow your interest. Like um, one thing that I've done in all of my projects is always merging not just one topic, but merging a couple topics in each project. For example, in the project I just mentioned, where I was measuring the changes in my environment during the COVID-19 lockdown, um, I didn't settle at just finding um, a graph or creating a graph of how pollution changed before and during and after the lockdown. I also turned, um, we both turned this into a musical. So basically, um, yeah, like if the noise data was higher, um, 
more noise on his trees that might have been a higher pitch. There, if there was less noise, it might have been a lower pitch. And um, I combined, like, for example, if like the noise might have been a piano and the pollution might have been a violin. So I combined different instruments, different pitches, and made a really nice musical. And that's actually a project that won us the um, a global award winner at the 2020 um, COVID-19 edition NASA Space Apps. So I really suggest that you try to merge your passions in whatever you do. Um, whether it be arts, music, um, whatever it is, just try to merge your passions because I feel like unless you're really passionate about what you're doing, um, like if you're tackling a problem, it's only if you're really passionate that you'll actually keep on going, um, to spending hours needed to find the solution to that problem. Yeah, for, for sure, finding something you're passionate about um, and getting to that is really important. But I, I really think that, you know, the will and, you know, the want to actually make change uh, in the world or even your local community um, is one thing I think all young people should aspire to do. Um, because, you know, right now, even as kids, you know, we know about so many big problems that are happening in the world, right? Um, there are the obvious ones of, you know, climate change, rising sea levels, but there's also more complex issues that are slowly starting to rise. Uh, issues that we could not have thought could have existed, you know, 10 years ago. Like right now we have, you know, I think everyone's here of ChatGPT. Um, the software we can, you know, talk with it, ask questions and form answers. But the thing is, we need to be careful as we progress with technology. Um, technology and advancement in research is super important, but it also brings up new challenges, like how AI is going to change the social narrative or how the biases that we've introduced into society may be reciprocated by these algorithms and how they may have a negative impact on society and reinforce problems that you know, we've already been working really hard on the streets to combat onto the online network. And, you know, things online can spread so much faster than things that happen in person or within governments. So we need to be careful about that. And amidst all these issues, I think there's definitely some that as young people, we feel the need to take up or solve. And I think you need to find that fire inside you and, you know, whatever subject it might be in medicine, technology, AI, and, really get your you know your hands in the water really start getting into it there's a lot of local organizations that um or networks that you can join in our case one of the first ones we joined was the Ontario Science Center and the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada so there are kind of societies and organizations that you can join and really once you're passionate it's just an an issue of you know putting in the hours and figure out what you want to tackle and once you're there you can continue your research and Education obviously is very important, so uh, doing that and you know keep going forward with your dreams. There's nothing else to say. Those are that's excellent advice. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun, and I'm super excited about this episode. Do either of you have anything that you would like to promote? We have our, our Twitter at uh, OneRobot, W-O-N-R-O-B-O-T, um, and we have another website, HotPopRobot.com. Uh, where we've also been posting all of our projects uh, since 2014. Cool, and I will link those as well in the description if anybody wants to go learn more about what you guys have been doing. Thank you again for joining me. And as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening. Do you have a question that you'd like answered by an expert? Send us an email or a voice recording at whatdoscientistsdo@superstaff.ca. For more science fun, you can also follow us on social media at scientistsdoopod 
on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Bye for now! This podcast was made by Supernova at Dalhousie University, a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, check out supernova.dal.ca.